You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Hebrews chapter 3. We have a short consideration of Jesus and Moses. It's one of the shorter uh, considerations. Uh, shorter of the arguments of Christ being greater and better. Of course, you compare Christ to any man, it's not going to be a very long comparison, even if there's one as great as Moses, even if he's as foundational as uh, Moses was, even if he does all the good things that Moses did. And so uh, here we have uh, the uh, outline that we've uh, been using, and this is a modified one. It's more detailed. In all things, you fight this battle between detail and clarity, and uh, notice that we have arguments and exhortations in the book of Hebrews, and I've broken out in this newer version of this outline chart the uh, exhortation sections to a little more detail. Uh, Hopefully that uh, that won't be too confusing. We'll have new paper copies of this available. Uh, next time you're at the building. Uh, but we have this n- newer digital version tonight. We note in the argument section, we first had Christ greater than the angels, the uh, highest imaginable beings that you could have, uh, the great uh, servants of God who helped deliver the law to the people, who guarded the people and guided the people, who were present at so many great events of the Old Testament. And Christ had a far superior position than them. And then we had our first exhortation, the danger of neglect. Don't neglect so great a salvation. Then we had last week, the consideration of Jesus. What is man that you are mindful of him? uh, Was the question of the psalmist. And we find that the, the man that God truly regarded was Jesus himself. He was the one who was made little Lord in the angels. He was the one who was uh given uh, dominion we we mankind has to some degree dominion but Christ dominion over all so we had a consideration of Jesus and humanity well now we come to one of the greatest men of all time one of the greatest men of the scripture the leader of God's people for 40 uninterrupted years after he led them out of Egypt under God's mighty hand uh, after he had uh, uh, been God's spokesman, uh, his prophet, uh, the the voice of of God to Pharaoh through the ten plagues, then the voice of God to the people as he led them to the uh, Red Sea crossing. Uh, he led them into the wilderness and brought them the law from Sinai. And then, <coughs> then as they rejected God, and then God rejected them, he led them faithfully through the wilderness for 40 years, right to the very verge and sight of the promised land. And then he was called home and Joshua led them across. Of course, anytime we do think about Moses, we think about the once or twice or three times that he failed. We think about his failings out of a life of uh, decades of faithful service. But uh, the Hebrew writer isn't going to dwell on those things. He's going to dwell upon the uh, great work and effect 
of Moses for the people of God. But then we just notice how quickly we see Jesus surpassing him. And so if there's a fidelity to Moses, and there had been in the Jewish nation for 15 centuries, if there's a fidelity to Moses and to some degree what he said, how much more should there be in the things of Jesus? And so we start with this exhortation in verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our, our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And so here, uh, verses 1 through 6, uh, the beginning of uh, chapter 3, we find Jesus and Moses. And what we see first is we are to consider Jesus, and then in our consideration of Jesus, we find him to be faithful, even more so than Moses, and then we're going to find him to be the head of the house. So that'll be our consideration of Jesus. Now, we note uh, here we're told uh, to consider Jesus. Back in chapter 2, we were told that we see Jesus, and moves a little lower than the angels. And now in chapter 4, we're going to be told we have Jesus as a great high priest. In chapter 10 and later in chapter 12, we're going to be told we have uh, Jesus who sanctified us or sanctified through Jesus. In chapter 12, probably the most famous Jesus statement in the book of Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus. And then at the very close of the book, in chapter 13, we're going to see an example of how we pray through Jesus. And so it's going to be uh, Jesus all the way down through the book of Hebrews. It's him that we see in this verse tonight of our study, that we consider that we have him, we're sanctified through him, we fix our eyes upon him, and we pray through him. The reason, of course, is, and that's and why chapter 3 begins off with a therefore, because he's the exalted son of God, greater than the angels, the, the superior man. Uh, he is uh, all these things. And so that's why in him, as it says, therefore, holy brethren, holy brethren. Uh, that's a real good English way of saying the uh, equivalent of saint. And of course, there are so many times that the brethren are called saints because we've been sanctified through Christ Jesus. We mentioned that uh, here uh, in the book of Hebrews, that we'll get to that in chapter 10 and chapter 12. We have that same thing in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, through the church of God at Corinth, those who've been sanctified through Jesus Christ, saints by calling. And so we are to be, and we are, if we're in Christ, we're the holy 
brethren. And so from the day we join ourselves to Christ, we are sanctified. First uh, Corinthians 6, you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified. And so there's immediate sanctification or a relational sanctification. If you're in Christ, you're sanctified, or we might call it a positional sanctification. You're in Christ, so in that position, in that condition, you are sanctified. And so that's why from day one, no matter what their level of immaturity, uh, no matter uh, what their besetting sins, uh, even if they haven't even yet regarded and thought about and been able to grow in grace and knowledge enough to know what their besetting sins are, because they don't know hardly anything, from day one, from hour one, those that are in Christ are holy. Now, we are to grow in our sanctification. We are to become more sanctified in our behavior. We are to be more and more modeled on Christ as we mortify more and more of the flesh and take on more and more of his character. But we are holy brethren from the start. Now, that's one of the things that becomes a great disappointment when people don't grow as they ought and become sanctified as they ought, and they act poorly, uh, sometimes in the name of Christ, uh, uh, other times just while wearing the name of Christ, and some are discouraged and some stumble at the idea that these people who are in Christ still act this way? I thought they were supposed to be loving. I thought they were supposed to be kind. How is it that they can do that? Well, they do that because although being uh, holy in Christ, they haven't yet perfected holiness in the fear of the Lord. But all of those who are in Christ are the holy brethren. And so we see that we are, and that we are that because, as verse 2 continues, we are partakers of the heavenly calling. And so some of us have drunk, drunk, uh, drunk much deeper of that well than others in the implications of that and in the way that that uh, works itself out in our lives. But uh, that heavenly calling, that calling from heaven, by heaven, to heaven, that holy calling that comes by the gospel uh, that we have answered in faith, that's the way we became part of the holy brethren. So we're the holy brethren called from, to, by, and for heaven. And so those of us who've on that path, let's make sure we're still considering rightly Jesus. Now, you would think that, like some of these exhortations given to those who are weak, feeble, and, uh, well, ready to fall away, we'll come to later in the chapters, uh, we think that, why would that be necessary? That should be so unnecessary to have to say that. But they need to consider again, meditate on, give a full and careful consideration to Jesus. Because Jesus is who got them here. Uh, like Paul had said to the Galatians, you, what, what did you have when you're in the way of the flesh, in the way of the law? You, you have this as, as by the Spirit, not the law. So continue on in the Spirit. Well, you've got this in Christ. What you have in relation to God is in Christ. So you make sure you keep thinking about him over and over again. Uh, we have the hymn we sing, uh, but, uh, you know, tell me the old, old story. And tell it, one of the verses says, tell it to those who know it best, right? They need to hear it like the rest. They need to be reminded, though they know it well. Well, these brethren have known it for a while, 
but maybe they haven't known it well. So they need to be reminded. Get back into your consideration of Jesus. And nearly every problem we'd ever have in the church, nearly every problem of assurance, nearly every thing we'd have uh, of, of encouragement, nearly everything we'd ever have of rebuke, nearly everything we'd ever have of exhortation might be rightly fixed by consideration of Jesus. So, consider Jesus. Now we find two things that Christ is that we might especially think about. He is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. The apostle and high priest of our confession. The King James will use the older word profession there. That which we acknowledge, that which we've all admitted, that which we've all confessed in Christ, he is the center of it. He is the apostle of it. Now, we don't normally think of Jesus as one of the apostles. Actually, we usually think about the 12. Okay, the 12 plus 1, because somebody took Judas's place. Well, and Paul, because we have the, the 12 plus 1 plus 1. But we have a few other places where some other people are called apostles as well. Actually, I think it's 17 in total who are given that uh, usage in some form or other in the New Testament. But here's Christ, one of which, if we ever listed all the apostles, we probably wouldn't list Jesus. Because we normally, as apostles, we think of the ones Jesus sends. Well, in this case, we think about Jesus as one sent. Well, it's a heavenly calling. Where was Jesus sent from? He's sent from heaven. And so he's the apostle from heaven. The others are his apostles on earth. Great honor, great great job, great roles, important and honorable roles. And when we have the words of the apostles written for us in Holy Writ, we take those as authoritative as just as if from Jesus. But Jesus from first, he is first and has first priority even among them as he's the first one sent, sent from heaven. The one sent from heaven sent the rest. So consider Jesus, our apostle, the one sent from heaven. And he's the high priest. We won't speak at this point much about Jesus as the high priest because beginning at the end of chapter 4 and in the chapter 5 and in chapter 7, a bit more in chapter 9, we're going to have Jesus as our priest. We're going to have a great deal of announcement, elucidation, explanation of Jesus, our priest. So uh, the part that is a little odd to us, though we don't normally think in that regard, so we'll pause here again, Jesus, our apostle, and the high priest of our confession. So we have confessed him. We've made that good confession, as, as Paul would call it. And so we have these titles now given uh, for Jesus. Uh, we had some explanation of him being the exact uh, representation or the express image of God in chapter 1 in the first couple of verses, of him being the creator as well. Well, here he is, the apostle and high priest. He wears those titles in our church. Do we have an apostle today? Yeah, we do. We have living apostles. We have Jesus who lives. Uh, we have, of course, the apostles who are in heaven with him alive forevermore. But no, we don't have living apostles on earth. But we've got a great living apostle ever with us. And also 
he uh, a living high priest, right? Chapter 7, he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. So we think about these profound and magnificent titles that are simply put, apostle and high priest of our confession. Uh, when I thought about these exalted titles, I thought for a minute and almost facetiously, but then I realized, no, it's not a facetious topic. <laughs> the the, <coughs> the nigh on to blasphemous titles that men give themselves in religion and no greater example of that than than the pope uh this is the title that the pope wears uh, these are his official titles uh t- pope is not actually an official uh title it's uh, uh the, the the shorter form because these titles of the pope i'm fixing to read are really extreme blasphemous and tedious um but people just call him holy father or in italian where he lives uh, Saint, uh, it's a uh, Sancta Papa, uh, Sancta Papa, which is shortened to Pope. But uh, his official titles are the Bishop of Rome, the Vicar of Jesus Christ, the successor of the Prince of the Apostles, the Supreme Pontiff of the U- Universal Church, the Primate of Italy, Archbishop and Metropolitan of the Roman Province, the Sovereign of the State of Vatican City, and Servant of the Servants of God. So that's, think about that as compared to Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. We think about what the Pope in his vainglory has added as silly titles. Um, if it weren't for uh, Monty Python making fun of those titles, we'd need somebody else to do it because it's just ridiculous. All right, so Jesus, apostle and high priest of our confession. Secondly, he's faithful. Again, there's no mark here on the faithfulness of Moses. Moses is credited with his great faithfulness in this text. We're not going to bring up uh, the the few uh, failings of of man and with every man, because it's even acknowledged by Solomon in First Kings, who is a man who does not sin. But Jesus here in the things of God was faithful and in entirety. Verse two who was faithful to him who appointed him. And so here we have a statement of the faithfulness of Jesus. The faithfulness of Jesus. I think, again, that's probably not usually something we always give a lot of thought to. We think about being faithful to Jesus. But Jesus on earth, is in the book of Hebrews, is pointed out as he is the faithful, the most faithful, the example of faithful the fully faithful servant of God who fully did the will of God, as even in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. So the most faithful who ever was. And it says uh, in here, again, Moses fully credited with his faithfulness, who was uh, faithful uh, who, to him who appointed him, just as Moses was, who was faithful in all of God's house. And so, Moses was the leader of the people. He led the people of God, that family of God, that household of God. Uh, we have this statement even of him in the Old Testament, number 6 and verse 7. He is faithful in all my household. And so the, the people of Israel weren't just a kingdom when they, once they had a king. Uh, they weren't just a people, an ethnarchy, a group of folks all related to one another, one tribe. 
They weren't just that, but they were truly a family. And there's various ways in which that's also expressed. They were God's vineyard. They were God's bride. Famously, they're God's flock. Uh, we did study about them <clears throat> being the vineyard of God last night in our Luke class. And we had those terrible tenants who'd be punished in the parable of the unfaithful tenants or unfaithful vineyard keepers. Well, in this vineyard flock family, Moses was faithful. He was faithful in all the things, but he wasn't the head of the house. He was always God's man. And that was the power of Moses, that he was God's man. But the power of Jesus is that he's man who's God. And that's a whole different level. So one is God's faithful man, and the other is faithful God as man. And so we, we think about uh, somebody uh, who has a great title. Uh, in the old uh, royal houses, there might be people who were called uh, chamberlains or chief stewards, or if you're an Englishman, you might be a, the major domo. You were the head guy, the head director, the head guardian, the head administrator. You were the chief man. But you're always somebody else's man. Uh, the chief steward, the chamberlain, or today the director, or the administrator, or, uh, you know, we get so many people now that are directors or administrators, we got things like chief administrator or executive director. Well, what if you're the, you know, pile up all the titles, you're the executive director, administrator, president. You're still answerable to somebody else. You're not the owner. You're the man put in charge of the thing. Well, Jesus is the owner. He's the son and heir. He's the one to whom it's all going to be given. It's he who has the first inheritance. The others might get a really nice pension in it, but he is the inheritor. And so imagine if there were, and there's not in this case, but I think some of the Jews might have thought maybe there were. But imagine if there's a case where the head of the company and his chief administrator give you conflicting instructions or there's some there's some conflict between the owner and the director of a place right uh, let's say that you maybe you work at a restaurant and there's a manager maybe even an executive manager but he's still a manager and there's the owner well if there's a if there's a conflict between the executive manager and the owner who's going to come out on top whose position is such that they have the authority it's the owner well, in this case, there is none in this text, obviously. There is no contradiction. There is no conflict between the, the management and the ownership. But Moses was really good management. Moses was not owners. And so here's Jesus. He is head of house. He's on ownership tier. He's not management tier, not oversight tier not stewardship tier. Verse 3, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house. So this man, Jesus, has the great glory. He built the house of God. 
Moses served well in the house of God. But here is Jesus, the builder of <coughs> the builder of the house. And again, we think when we think of house, think about, <coughs> about a, a great tribe of folks. Think about a line of folks. So we have the house of David, right? They ruled Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years. The house of David. How would anybody in the lineage of David ever surpass David? How does anybody in the house of David surpass the head of the house? Well, here's Jesus, the head of the house. He's the ownership level of it. He's the, the origin level of it. He's the top level. Moses is not. And then we see an axiomatic statement that even the ancients understood, but moderns seem to have forgotten. Verse 4, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Every house is built by someone. Now today, how many people run around thinking, we've got all these houses, or we've got all these things that no one built? Right? These people think we live in the house that evolution built. They think we live in bodies that evolution, by chance and time, happened to, uh, with some physical forces, create. But of course, it's ridiculous. If it's organized, we know somebody organized it. If it's designed, somebody designed it. If it's got power in it, somebody gave it power. If whatever it is, there's a creator behind it. And in this case, the builder of all things is God. But going back to chapter 1, verse 2, who did God build it through? He built it through Jesus. Right? He built it through Jesus. Or again, as Paul had said in Colossians, all things are built for him and by him. So, axiomatic statement evolution and all sort of naturalistic theories fly in the face of this simple truth that all things are built by God eventually as the ultimate source, the ultimate reason for their being. Moses came to the leadership of a great house, a house that God built through his promises to Abraham and through his uh, having them go down to Egypt uh, in a way of to be protected and separated from the world. It turned into, uh, by the Egyptians' choices, a place of oppression and a place uh, where, uh, you know, kind of the greenhouse, they outgrew the greenhouse. So they need to be transplanted outside. And under Moses' leadership, that which had grown in originally the protection of Egypt and then in the furnace of Egypt, prepared then to go take his place in the world. Moses went to that, found a million, well, 600,000 soldiers, 22,000 Levites, all of their, those just of fighting age, but with their elderly and their children and their wives and their livestock, Moses found them and led them under God's mighty hand to the promised land. Moses did that, as it says, verse 5, Moses did that faithfully. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify of the things that should be spoken of later. So again, the faithfulness of Moses, the greatest lawgiver, until Christ came and gave a better law. 
until he was the greatest deliverer until Christ delivered the whole world from their sins, the, the greatest mediator between God and man until Jesus came and offered to be the mediation for us all. And so in every way that Moses was the greatest deliverer, lawgiver, mediator, he was until Jesus came and surpassed him on every front. But he prepared the things that were coming up. So now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Why and how? To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. And so nearly everything that Moses says, we can find something of that in the new law. We can find in the, in the new a basis in the old. We can find in the things of the old that Moses gave us a fulfillment and greater uh, uh, unity uh, in, uh, and fulfillment in the things of the new. And so here was Moses who was setting up what is to come. Even from Deuteronomy 18, the, the famous statement that God would, would rise up from the brethren, one like him, that they would listen to. And so Moses was the one who delivered them to Christ. Moses is the one who gave them the safekeeping of the law uh, to guard them from evil, to keep them in the ways of God until the ultimate plan was fulfilled. He had a, a most uh, important role, but important here for those who are making a choice. Will we follow Moses and be Jews? Will we follow Christ and be Christians? Well, that you need to go with Christ. Moses set you up to go follow Christ. That's the argument here of the Hebrew writer. These things were coming later, but they weren't coming unexpectedly. Because even from Moses, in the law that he gave, types and foreshadows, and direct prophecy of his own replacement. And so Moses would guide them. Uh, Paul would say the law Moses gave in the Galatian letter. That was a, school, a tutor or schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so they would graduate, as it were. They would follow on. They would find fulfillment in what would come later. So verse 6, for Christ is faithful. Again, the faith of Christ. The faith of Christ stressed in Hebrews more than other places. Uh, we always think about faith to him. Let's think about faith uh, by him, right? So it's not just faith in him. It's faith by him. Christ here is faithful. He was faithful over God's house as a son. And so he was the son who took over, as it were, the family business. The family business that of uh, the worship to God, uh, the uh, instruction of God, the ways of God. Here came Christ, the beloved son, who fulfills all the father's purposes. He takes over from this wonderful chief administrator uh, whose instruction and in law had been guiding and administering and guarding the people for so very long. But Christ, now the son and heir, has come, and he's taken the, whole, the family business to a whole new level, right? And so let's follow him, and we are his house. We are in the house of Christ. Normally we'd express it as a church of Christ, right? But it's the house, the household of Christ. We think about what Paul told Timothy. He was writing him so that 1 Timothy 3.15, he, 
he would understand how to conduct himself properly in the church of God, the household of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the church is God's house. God had a house. His dwelling among men was among the Jews with a special relationship and a special temple and these special procedures and special ways to make them holy. But now, through the Son and the fulfillment of those things, the family business, the family house, the house of God is run by and through and in Jesus Christ. And that's what the Father wanted. The Father wanted him to have this position. It's not of rivalry. It's not of, you know, some of these uh, uh, family businesses where the son has rivalry with the father. No, it's, it's not a takeover of any means. It is, I prepared this for you to take it. Here it is. And he took it as prepared and expanded from the Jews to all of faith everywhere. And so now that we've got it and we've received it, <coughs> we are his house. If indeed we hold fast to our confession and the boasting of our hope. And so he was, as we saw in verse uh, one, uh, he is the uh, apostle and high priest of our confession. But we have to hold fast to our confession, right? How do we get in this church? How do we get in his family's business? You know, he was going to be about his father's business. Well, we are his father's business. How do we get here? We got here by faith. We confess that faith in Christ. We made the good confession. Well, we need to hold fast that confession and the boasting of our hope. What do we boast in? We boast in the Lord, right? We, we don't boast in our strength. Uh, the proverb says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. The rich man boast in his in his riches. Uh, if any, bo- I think actually that's Jeremiah, not the Proverbs. But if any man boasts, let him boast in the Lord. So our boast is, hey, I know the guy in charge, and I believe in the guy in charge. That if I have a boast, that's my boast, and that's my hope. I know the Son. I know the one the Father sent. I know the one who fulfilled it all. I know the one who's carried this out. And so he's the head of the house I want to be in, and I confess him, and then I remain faithful to that confession to the end. Well, that's a short section. I, I, we took some time on it, but we were able to uh, because we didn't have that much to cover because we have Christ compared with Moses. But now we're going to have a big exhortation. We're going to have an exhortation that's a little more than a chapter long, probably more than one lesson's worth to examine. The exhortation of, you need to believe this, the danger of not believing this. You know, there are a lot of people, they don't believe Christ. And people, if he's the son and he's all that, why don't more people believe him? Well, why didn't more people believe Moses when Moses came? So we're going to see about people not believing Moses. And then it won't surprise us if some of the people who say they follow Moses then don't follow Christ and other people as well. So the next time we get together, the danger of not believing God's word. And so that's going to be a long and pointed exhortation. So tonight was a nice uh, 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 reminder of the place of Christ, uh, the uh, argument of uh, to convince uh, really wasn't there too much, but the argument to convince 
and the argument of of the dangers of not uh, being convinced and and uniting these words with faith in our hearts is going to come out full force next time. So next time, the dangers of not believing God's word. But tonight, this glorious place of Jesus, this complimentary picture of Moses, and all the reasons why we think, well, Christ is so much even better. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.